Welcome to Chit Chat Money. Today is our Thursday deep dive episode, and we talk to Gianni DiMattia today. We're talking Google, um, and we get into it, but he is a very concentrated investor, uh, and you'll see what we mean if you're not familiar with him. Uh, but before we get to that conversation, we want to talk about our friends and our sponsor. It's Stream by Mosaic. Um, and if you've never used Stream by Mosaic, they are an expert interview transcript library. And they have, I want to say, yeah, 8,500 plus call transcripts available. And some of this information is a little old, so it might be plus, it might be 10,000 at this point. Um, and you can get a lot of really good information, a lot of scuttlebutt from experts um, that can really be valuable to uh, any investor's research process. They have industries, pretty much every industry, any company that you can think of, I'm sure they have a conference call or a expert call on there. Um, so go ahead and check them out. You can get a 14-day free trial using the promo code CCM and just go to streamrg.com. It's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.com. Uh, go ahead, check them out. It really is useful if, you're, uh, if you've ever used expert calls. It, you can really be blown away by some of the sort of insight you get into some of the companies. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, check them out. Uh, before we get to the interview, one more word. Brett, any highlights from the show? Yeah, it was a fun discussion. I mean, I wake up every single morning and I say to myself, why don't I own Google? I mean, I'm not joking. I wake up, my head, I lift my head up and I say to myself, do, I, I don't own Google. Why am I being an idiot? Like, uh, and I think he kind of, that, that, that's really his thesis here is keep it simple. This is the best company in the world or top five big time tailwinds in all their businesses, very reasonable valuation. I mean, we, we go through everything, which is nice. We go YouTube, GCP, all that good stuff, all the political concerns, all the regulation concerns. And GCP, GCP, just for anyone who doesn't know, is Google Cloud Platform. We make that, we say that acronym a few times during the show, so. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we but, explain everything else. Other bets is their big time investments which into like venture type startups like Waymo, which is self-driving cars, DeepMind, which is their AI stuff. It's that we, we mentioned other bets as well. And we don't define it pro, like right away. So that's kind of like their big uh, skunk works, I guess yeah. is the best way to call it. It's um, really comprehensive. Very fun. Yeah, really comprehensive. Uh, without further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome in. Today, we are joined by Gianni DiMattia. Uh, if you are on Twitter, you likely know him as the guy who owns one company, and that company is Google, which we're talking about today. Um, so first of all, Gianni, welcome to the show. Um, I, I have to say, and I kind of asked you this before, do you lose sleep at all before quarterly reports? Yeah, thanks a lot for, for having me on, man. I mean, it's just so hard to describe my enthusiasm for Google 
with the character limit on Twitter. So it's nice to finally be on here and just basically speak my mind. But to your point, no, I, I do not sleep having 120% of all my money on Google. Like really not at all. Like the company's going like crazy. The valuation is very reasonable right now. And the way I see it, I don't own one company. I, I own the world's largest search engine. I own the world's largest video website. I own 70% of the operating systems within mobile phones. Sure, it's one company, but it's got a bunch of these different businesses that aren't too correlated together. I got to ask though, are you an Android user? <laughs> I am. I have a Pixel 4a. So like, I'm a really cheap guy. Like I'm the type of guy that, like I was saying, I drive a hail damaged car, I cut my own hair, and I have a refurbished Pixel 4a that I bought on Amazon. And it was like 400 bucks and it's a great phone and it takes really good pictures. It's um, good value for me. I'm looking at your... Uh what's it called? The, your background photo on Twitter right now. And I think it's very fitting. It's the Buffett quote. Diversification is a protection against ignorance. It makes very little sense for those that know what they're doing. I think you've taken that to, uh, taken that to the limit here with Google. So let's, let's get into it, I guess. Why don't you describe what your kind of thesis is? And then I know you rotated out of Facebook um, what was it? Probably six months ago now, I think, if I'm getting that right. Yeah, and then, yeah. um, can you describe kind of why you chose to do that? Yeah. So I was 120% invested in Facebook before going into Google. And at the time, there wasn't really too much of a scare of IDFA issues with Facebook. Um, valuation was also very good. They were growing a lot. Still are. Um, but most importantly, there wasn't any significant guidance yet on the metaverse. So yes, they had hinted at it, but not to the point where it was really gonna stall the bottom line like it is now. And I think it was when they released Q3, which was like, basically they released earnings for Q3 and I hated this new strategy for the metaverse so much. I hated the guidance. I hate, I, I really don't like the idea of the metaverse. It might be great 10 years from now, but I, I'm just not a visionary. I don't see it. And within the aftermarket, I had already sold most of my shares. Hmm. Um, and I thought, okay, this is not time to diversify. And the next day after having slept on it, I decided, actually, forget about it. I just, I want to sell 100% of my stake. And I just kept whatever was left in my margin account to try and defer those capital gains into the next calendar year. Um, because all the rest of the trading was done in a non-taxable account we have here in Canada. And just as more time went by, like it sat with me so bad, that strategy for the metaverse spend. I, I just didn't see with the guidance on spend that they gave how they can increase the bottom line all that much. And before December 31st came around, I even sold out of my margin account. I told myself, whatever, I'll just, I'll pay the, the income taxes on it. Right. for this coming income tax year. That's how much it scared me. Mm -hmm. In hindsight, that ended up being a great idea. Call it luck, call it a bit of skill, whatever you want. Um, and at the same time, what helped a lot was when I sold Facebook, Google was, was trading not too far off from Facebook in terms of income multiple. 
So I figured, well, for a few turns more on the income multiple, I can buy Google, which is probably going to grow faster. They have much more of a mode. They have several businesses. They're not just in this, you know, one niche. Like, yes, Facebook owns Instagram and Facebook and WhatsApp, but they're all a social network at the end of the day. So with Google, you have a bit more of that diversification. And it just made sense when I compared both financial statements, the risk reward at the time was just a lot better with Google. Okay. We're going to get into all the segments here. Um, you know, there's a lot of businesses. First one's going to be YouTube. What are your thoughts in general? How important is it to the company and how big, now this may be a more speculative question. The last one, how big do you think this business can get? Well, YouTube just grew something like 40% year over year. And because search grew so much, it's not as important to the overall company as it, as it should be right now, just because everything's grown so much. But I do think over a 10-year period, long-term, YouTube will grow at a faster rate than search. It's just like as big as YouTube is, it's still in its infancy. Like I was saying before uh, we started recording, like if you're under 35 and you just bought a house, most likely what you're doing is you got a smart TV and you're watching Netflix and YouTube on it. That's 90% of your usage. You're not paying for a cable TV package. You might have maybe a Disney Plus account and ESPN or a sports package of some sort. But otherwise, most of, like a lot of time on your TV is going to be spent using YouTube. And there's multiple generations that aren't using your TV like that. And there's still many generations that don't use YouTube the way young people use it. If I have an issue, some, something to fix on my car or something to fix around the house, my first instinct is YouTube. It's, it's become much more than just entertainment at this point or for prank videos. It's, it's really become much more than that. And there's, there's so many ways they can go with YouTube. It's, it's, it's like just in live streaming and and creators are you can see it in their video content and, and quality creators now are making a lot of money and they're reinvesting it into their content into their production you can see it we can get to a point where some of these creators have such big budgets that they start being on par with the quality that we see from these cable TV shows or cable news channels, you can even argue some channels already at that level. So you, you kind of have this compounding effect where as YouTube grows, creators make more revenue, the content gets better, and then more people come out to YouTube and they just use it more often. So, yeah. It, yeah, yeah I mean, I, or Godwin. I was going to say, there's, I mean, if you've been around like kids, you watch they consume more YouTube based content than like TV shows these days. Like that's their preferred form of content. Brett, what were you going to say? I was going to say, okay. An example of that, if there's someone that's maybe older listening to this and they don't really understand it, because I totally agree with the thesis that a lot of the stuff on cable can get replaced with people on YouTube uh, for CNBC, which is what a lot of people, you know, like uh, in our field, used to watch. I I don't watch CNBC at all anymore, but there's a show called Value After Hours that a lot of people may know about that has a weekly hour live stream on YouTube. I don't watch it live, but I watch like 90% of them at least once during the week. And I 
there's a budget in my time to watch like one of those per day. And I think for a lot of people with their niche interests or even broader interest, um, a lot of the stuff that was on cable TV, it's going to spread out to multiple different, say dozens and dozens of different um, accounts or like studios that are on YouTube because they can serve those specific niches a lot better. What, what are your thoughts on that? Is that part of the thesis for YouTube? It is. Yeah. Look, again, when you're watching cable TV, it's very generalized. It's not niche in, niche in any way. I mean, on YouTube, you can, you can get real niche. You can get real specific with it. Just saying finance. Oh, I want to watch a finance video. That's too general. You can get way more specific. So it's just the quantity and the quality of content is the show so much better. I, I don't see how these cable companies can realistically still be around in like 10, 15 years, the way things are going. It's going to be all on YouTube. YouTube is not just a monopoly of internet video. It's going to be a monopoly of mostly like 90% of your TV as well. Yeah. And I guess that brings up YouTube TV, um, I guess, what do you think about that segment and how do you think about, and we, I, I didn't send this over in any of our questions, but how do you think about their relationship with like the platform providers? If I'm not mistaken, they had a big dispute with Roku. Um, who do you think kind of holds the power there? Well, what good is a Roku stick if you can't watch YouTube on it? <laughs> Right. I think that kind of answers the question right there. Realistically, it's just a dongle at that point with an operating system without YouTube. Okay. So maybe you'll have Netflix on it and everything. But if you can't watch YouTube on a smart TV, that defeats like the purpose of a smart TV. <laughs> so clearly, to answer your question, Google isn't the driver's seat here. YouTube's in the driver's seat, I, I think. Yeah. The Okay. Other, there's one more part of YouTube that I think I want to cover because it's not really thought about, I don't think as much within the investment community. And that is the, the premium side. So they're doing this stuff where you can go ad free. I think it's like in between 10 to $15 a month, probably different in other geographic areas. What are your thoughts on that? Is that where they're going over the long term or is that just an option to get rid of that ridiculous ad load? Um, just thoughts on that stuff in general. Yeah, that's a great question, actually. I'm a user of YouTube Premium myself. You know, you basically, you don't have ads anymore, whether you're using YouTube on your desktop or on your mobile phone, or more importantly, on your TV, where you can't use an ad blocker. The value proposition is very good. You get a music membership and you don't have ads anymore whenever you're using YouTube. So in my case, for example, I canceled my Spotify membership. In someone else's case, it might be some other competing streaming service that they're using. So the incremental cost really, in my example, was very small to not have ads anymore while using YouTube. I saw a statistic posted on YouTube's blog. They have 50 million users right now. Now, some of those are free trial users. They're probably not paying. Maybe we can guess that $40 million, 40 million users are paying at $12.99 a month. That's pretty significant. And usually when we see comparisons of like, and recently it's been really popular to compare Netflix revenue to YouTube revenue. Well, when those comparisons are done, they're not using YouTube ad revenue. They're only using YouTube ad revenue, excuse me. 
and they're not using revenues from premium memberships, which should be included as well. So it's likely that YouTube surpassed Netflix and revenues a while ago. The, it, it's interesting too, because I, I would have never thought about getting YouTube premium, like, I don't know, six months ago, but the worse they make the free experience, the more inclined I am to want to get the premium. If they can just bog that thing down with ads, I'm going to be like, all right, you got me at some point here. Um, Brett, do you want to ask about Google Cloud? Because I know we've been harping on YouTube for a while here. Yeah, I can hit that. That This is a, I don't know, it's a smaller part of the business. And right now it's burning about a billion dollars a quarter, but moving in the right direction. What are your thoughts on them flipping GCP's margins to positive? Um, couldn't they get to the AWS level of about 30% sometime in the future? And then I think the big question is how do you value GCP as a part of this conglomerate in general? Well, I'll start off with the last question first, actually. I don't value GCP at all. Really, I I don't know how big that's going to get. Um, I'm pretty sure they're going to be profitable. I don't know how profitable, but it's just right now, at least, it's really not material to the bottom line. Like with about a billion dollars of losses a quarter, you're looking at about a 5% decrease in overall free cash flow or income, it's, it's just not a major part of, of the valuation um, at this moment. And it doesn't seem like the market seems to be valuing it all that much either. Um, it'll get, I think it'll do well. I mean, if we look at losses at Q4 2021, they had an operating loss in terms of percentage of 16%. That's down from 30-something percent the year before that, and that's down from 45% the year before that. So clearly, margins are heading in the right direction. They're going to be able to break even. They're going to be able to be profitable. Will they catch up to Microsoft with Azure or AWS? Probably not. I mean, those companies have a first mover advantage. And once you're, once you're using a cloud provider for something you're usually not going to change so whatever aws and azure have acquired in terms of customers those are staying with that companies they've gotten the first mover advantage there but gcp can still make some pretty good money picking up the scraps i think what about the other bets segment do you think there's anything kind of hidden under that segment that you like or I guess just how do you how do you think about that component? Because it's usually it's a bit of a black box, if I'm not mistaken. Like they kind of keep it quiet. Yeah, that's another good question. So the other bets I think somewhat relates to the other income, the investment income we've been seeing do really well in the past 24 months. So if if we look at the income statement the past 12 months, like income has been more or less inflated compared to free cash flow because they have this other income line where they're booking a bunch of gains on their investments. A portion of that comes from other bets. So if, if you look at the financial statements, Google can increase the value of their private businesses that they own or their other bets without them being publicly traded. So does that mean, for example, Waymo that's included in other bets, have they marked that up and booked investment gains on it? 
both of them could be related. So yes, we do see about a little, I forgot the exact number, but it's over a billion dollars a quarter of losses from other bets. But it may have driven some pretty decent gains as well on the other income line. What else is in there? I know Waymo is probably like the biggest one. Is the Stadia? protein, the deep mind, deep mind's big, right? Any, any thoughts on that? I know that's kind of for like scientists, but. Yeah, a bunch of fun projects and stuff. I mean, this is all, it's also good for HR, I'm sure, you know, those other bets are what makes it sexy to work at Google versus the other companies and it makes the employees all excited about the work culture. I think of it more as an HR expense. They got the balloons. They got that balloon project they were trying to do at one point. Uh, what was that? They were trying to bring internet everywhere. Right. Hot air balloons. I think that that's something that maybe the new CFO has toned down a bit on that one. Maybe the protein folding thing will be more promising. Um, yeah, I don't have any other questions on other bets, Brian, and if you have any. I think that's it. Um, we do have a bunch of more I have a bunch of more questions in mind, especially around valuation. But uh, before we get to that, I think we should hit a quick break. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one, so you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? All blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome back in. Uh, I want to talk valuation. So uh, I think it's at a current enterprise value of like $1.8 trillion. I might That might be off today. I don't know how much it's moved. Um, but what do you think needs to happen for this to be a good investment over the next decade? Um, and then what are, I guess, also... I have a follow-up question to that. So why don't you answer that first? Well, see, I don't know about the next 10 years, frankly, and I'm not a big fan of doing DCFs 10 years out, but I do think it's a logical approach to try and look at the next two, three, four years and see, okay, does this this make sense at the current valuation? And right now we're at a point where EVs around 1.7. We have on the income statement side, we have a multiple of, 24 P of 24 right now on a free cash flow basis. We're at around 31 last I checked. So the valuation is reasonable. This thing isn't trading at 40 X yet. It grew revenues 40% in the past year and the bottom line just as much. Yes. They're not going to grow revenues 40% in the coming year, but Google is not some cyclical oil company. They're a tech company with a large moat. So they're not going to, grow 0% next year either. It's very realistic to think they can grow 10, most likely 20 to 25%. That's where I think on the optimistic side, maybe 30% next year. So when you're sitting at a free cash flow multiple at 30 right now, and a P ratio around 24, 
that's very reasonable considering the amount of growth. So for the next two or three years, I love this investment. And if we look at each individual segment, whether it be search that grew like 40 plus percent this year, YouTube also grew 40 plus percent, I think GCP 45 plus percent. There's many areas where this can grow so that we don't hit the large numbers within the next two or three years. I think we'll hit it eventually. I mean, it's just math at one point, but will we hit it within the next two, three, four, five years? I don't think so. Do so, so I haven't looked at them in a while, but do they have a buyback program in place right now? They do. And it's increasing significantly. Like I think I checked today and they bought back something like $13 billion of stock in Q4 alone. And, and that's up way more than just four quarters ago because they're producing so much cash flow. Um, but because the valuation never gets so low, it's hard to buy back really a material amount of the outstanding share. So usually after stock issuance, stock comp and stuff like that, the buybacks, I think, only have maybe a 2 or 3% effect on overall shares outstanding. Okay. And I think, okay, I have two maybe ways to play devil's advocate with your non-cyclical, not the idea that Google's non-cyclical, it, it obviously is non-cyclical, but do you think there is a risk that they get a lot of benefit from the boom in Silicon Valley and software startups and consumer tech startups? And do you also think there was any sort of one-time bump from ad spend going from Facebook over to them at all? Is that a concern that that was kind of something that makes their numbers look a little bit better than maybe they will over the long term? See, I'm not sure really if part of, I mean, Facebook's global revenue is I think 20% year over year. So it wasn't too bad. Now, I think like it really depends the type of business that you have on what, which is going to determine whether a search bar is better for your needs, whether a video is better for your advertising needs, or whether a social media is better for your needs. I think more than Facebook revenue shifting towards Google, Facebook revenue, if any, has shifted towards other social media platforms like TikTok. So, so I don't think Google has been much of a gainer from any lost revenue that Facebook's had or from the whole IDFA situation. I really just think it's, it's people using the platform more. It's ad prices going up on YouTube. It's ad prices going up on search, much more traffic in general and um, better margins overall as well. Okay. Let's hit the mobile app store business. You mentioned this a bit at the beginning, but they have 70% market share worldwide with Android. It seems like a really great business. They have the take rate. I mean, they dominate that, especially in the faster growing markets, maybe you know Latin America, Southeast Asia, all those great places. However, the mobile app store business is under a lot of intense political pressure worldwide. How do you balance those two things and what sort of value the app store can play for Google? Yeah, in this respect, I mean, politics is, is anyone's guess at the end of the day. The Play Store, yes, brings in a lot of revenues. I don't know what exactly the bottom line in terms of profit margins look for the Play Store, 
but there has to be more opportunities from being the operating system and 70% of the world's phones. So sure, yeah, they might experience some political pressure and might have, might have to take lower amounts of fees for in-app purchases in the future, but I don't think it's a very material effect on the bottom line if that were to happen. And I think there's a lot more opportunity in being in and having such a large market share in the operating system market. Like just for example, most people in developing countries have Android phones. They're not spending a thousand bucks on an iPhone. And these countries here are the countries with the highest amount of GDP growth, the highest amount of a growing middle class. So it's going to be very profitable to be the one giving them their mobile operating system for the phone that they have in their hands. Okay. And this kind of spurred another question that I don't think there's more of a fun one. Do you think they should be paying Apple 18 billion a year or should they say for the, for the uh, default search on the iPhone or should they cut that? If you were a CEO, if you were CEO. That's a really good question. So before I answer, I'm not a visionary. Like I'm the type of guy that if I was Mark Zuckerberg and on Facebook, I would cut metaverse spent at zero, like near zero. I would just cut it out completely. Um, so I would just, yeah, I would not be paying Apple that amount of money anymore. I don't think Apple can make a better search engine. Um, and I think Google is kind of scared for nothing because when you're, when you're using Google, you're not just using this, like their algorithm isn't just based on your search history. It's based on your Google Maps usage. It's probably based on your YouTube usage. It's based on any data that they have while using your Android phone. It'll be tough for Apple to replicate it as good as it is now. I think Apple can make a pretty good search engine. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, I think people will still resort to using Google search, regardless of whether Apple comes out with their own search engine. I think it's, it's a waste of money, but hey, it's an insurance policy for Google. Okay. So if you were Sundar Pichai for the day um, and you had to make any changes, you said you're not a visionary. So what, <laughs> what changes would you make to Google? Would it just be turn on the buyback program? Is there anything you do, anything that you, I guess, want to see Google focus on? I would, first thing I would do is grow down and lever up, like lever <laughs> up hard and start that buyback program. Like with how bullish I am in the next two, three years of how much I think profits are going to increase, I would, you know, this is a company that's probably going to do like $90 billion of free cash flow next year. So you know what? Let's go get a loan of half a trillion dollars that we'll be able to pay back within five years and just buy back a ton of stock right now and be able to capture 35% more or 40% more of the profits for the decades to come. The Apple strategy, the Apple financing strategy on steroids almost. Uh, uh, Yeah, on like multiple steroids. I don't think that, yeah. I mean, it's hard to see like that absolute number seems insane, right? 500 billion in debt or something like that. But versus their amount of cash generation, I mean, a few hundred billion dollars, that's only what, three times cash flow? That's about where a lot of people, you know, a lot of companies keep their uh, leverage ratios at. 
Well, it, it would be a little more, but like going forward, yeah, that's, in the next 12 months will probably produce 90 billion of free cash flow, which will increase over the next three years. So let's say it might take them five years to take to pay it off, you know, 5x free, free cash flow. That's not the same. There's companies out there with way more leverage than that. And with $500 billion, you know, you got a market cap of about $1.8 trillion right now. You'd be able to buy back something like what, 30% of the float, a little less, something like that? You, I, think, I think I asked the same question to Kyler Hassan like a year ago, and his, his answer may have been the exact same, bro down and lever up. Um, and it's, it's funny how many people, how many investors just want to see that buyback program uh, accelerate. Uh, another question, what do you think is the most underrated part of Google's business uh, right now? And it's, that's tough to say because like they're all doing so well and they're all being rated pretty well. Yeah. Again, like it's probably something I'm underrating as well, but probably GCP. Like I don't have much hopes for GCP being all that material to the bottom line, but I see a bunch of super smart people on Twitter or that I think are smart really have high hopes for GCP. Like in the next 10 years, we're talking about kind of thing. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. a good choice. Yeah. I mean, that's a good choice. That's one where it's all, it's, it's weird how to call it a call option when it already is doing so much in revenue, but it is a bit like a call option for the value of Google because it is of this size. All right. Last question I have for me was going to be about, you know, the core search maps and ads, but I think everyone knows search and ads really well. What are your thoughts on Google maps? Because it always seems like that's been a bit under monetized, even though it's used by people. Well, if you use Google maps, which is the majority of people, you're using it sometimes multiple times per day. So what do you think the long-term opportunity is for maps? It's a good question. Like there's good reason why they kept it free. It's probably because the data is so useful to them um, to be able to track our location for every businesses to put their information out there and mark themselves on the map. I don't know, there has to be a lot of potential out of being the world's map, the world's digital map. But I'll leave that up to Sundar. I'm not a very good visionary. <laughs> maybe, right, the best, the like maybe, maybe the best decision is not to monetize it. Right. You know, it's, 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 maybe it's best to just keep it free and I mean, keep people on Google. It's weird to see that they could, if they really wanted to do short-term profits, they could, I mean, they could charge businesses to be on there for sh- like, the value of being on there is, is, is absurdly high. They could charge businesses a monthly fee to be, to be listed on Google maps. They probably get a lot of regulatory pressure for that. But the big, you know, the big, the core part of the business is search and ads. Um, I think the big, the most important question is over the next few years, how fast can that grow? You already said about 20, 25%. I want to ask why do you think it can go grow so quickly when it is already so big? Uh, Very good question. So just if, we can use just simple t- statistics to see if that 25% figure is realistic or not. If we look at Q4 2021 versus like Q1 2021, and yes, I know Q4 is a holiday season, so it's obviously going to do a lot better than Q1, but we're tracking like way ahead. Like Q3 was tracking already way ahead of Q1. So just if we use some like basic statistics, let's assume Q1 income or cash flow comes around the same as Q4, 
uh, Q1, sorry, 2022 comes in around same as Q4 2021, well, you're already tracking about 35% above Q1 2021 right there. Just with compar recent quarter comparables, we're growing a lot. So to get to that 25% figure, you know, I could see a little over 20% or maybe 20% growth in Q4 2022 versus Q4 2021. But those beginning quarters, we're going to have like 30% comps on the top and bottom line. It's going to be huge, even more so in free cash flow, because the income statement's kind of been inflated in the past 12 months by that other income line with investments they made. But free cash flow in Q4 is so much higher than previous quarters and the same right. year. If so, you brought up the regulatory, or you said something about regulatory uh, uh, in your last answer. But let's say the uh, businesses got broken up, and there's, and you as a shareholder can only buy one. Is there one segment that you would want to own most? Well, it all depends on the valuation, of course. Once they get broken up, but like let's say all valuation being equal, yeah. I would go with YouTube. I think terminal growth, well, that's probably not the right word to use, but the growth going forward will be a lot larger than search, in my opinion. What would cause you to sell Google today? Um, is, there, is it purely valuation or is there something qualitative that could happen? Yeah, look, uh, I, I definitely sell my stocks when they get to too high of a valuation. If Google got to like around 35x normalized free cash flow and I saw a pretty decent opportunity elsewhere, I'd go for it. Basically, I love buying a stock that has a good moat and where I can see some mean reversion in there. And right now, Google's sitting at about the mean in terms of income multiples and free cash flow multiples, but with what I think is 25% growth over the next year. So it's either going to stay at the mean or it's or the stock price is going to move up 20, 25% over the next 12 months so that it can be at a mean income multiple for next year. Or uh, just like how Facebook came out with this new initiative to basically throw the kitchen sink at this new project that people might not want and that will not be profitable. If Google did something like that, yeah, I. I'd be out if it materially impacted the bottom line and the growth. If it said we were spending 15 billion on Waymo CapEx, maybe, it, I don't know how much they spend on that, but like you're, you're saying if they went really heavy into some initiative that was gonna, that you don't know what the payback would be, that would kind of Correct, be, exactly. It might have to be more than 15 billion. Cause like, if I think they're gonna produce $90 billion of free cash flow next year, 15 billion isn't too, too bad. You know, if it's a good idea, fine, sure. You know, Waymo might actually be interesting. The, yeah. If the day comes where Google's spending $15 billion a year on Waymo, it's probably because they think they can get full self-driving. And in that case, that, that's worthwhile. People definitely want full self-driving. Do people want a screen in front of their eyes the whole day? I, I'm not sure. Maybe some do, maybe some don't. Where I draw the line is is there, I think. Right, that's a good distinction. Is there anything we missed 
Um, I know Google is a complicated, well, Alphabet, whatever, is a complicated business. Is there anything we missed um, about the thesis on this episode? Um, just going back to the valuation a little bit. Um, you know, sometimes I've compared Microsoft's valuation to Google. Now, Microsoft's valuation, I don't have the exact market cap in front of me, but I think it's, it's quite a bit higher than Google at this point. More than 20%, I believe, maybe 30%. And Google actually has more profit, more operating income than Microsoft. So how do you explain this discrepancy here? And some of some very intelligent comments I got on Twitter was, well, Microsoft is not as cyclical. cyclical. They're a software as a service company. So whether there's a recession or whether times are good, well, revenues are going to stay the same and they're probably going to grow the same as well but I, I don't see it that way like is the is the world's largest search engine monopoly and the world's largest video service and the, the world's mobile os market of which they have 70 percent share really that different from microsoft's software as a service like yeah sure they're cyclical when times are good people are going to pay more for ad prices and when they're when times are bad, ad prices might suffer, but it kind of nets out because the good periods make up for the bad ones. I don't think Microsoft should be trading at such a high premium to Google. And I'm not sure whether Microsoft has to come down to meet Google or whether Google has to meet Microsoft at the top. I think it's more the latter, frankly. But yeah, I think that's a, an interesting comparison that I like to make sometimes, Google and Microsoft. Is there any situation where you would rotate back into Facebook today and out of Google, or what would that take? If Facebook could, could calm down the metaverse spend, like, okay, I understand Zuck is sold on the idea and he wants to bet on it, got it. But you have to bet so much of the company's profits on it. Like, I'm, I really hate that. If they can just reduce that spend by, I'll show the number here, but I think 70% would have to be my number. They'd have to be spending for the metaverse by 70% for me to get back into that. But if they did that, the stock would go up immediately. <laughs> I'm convinced of it. So I wouldn't yeah, be able to get that a very good valuation. Yeah, I know this will be everyone, you know, you'll agree with this, but it's, uh, <laughs> It's very hard for me to see why someone would want to own Facebook over Google from a risk reward standpoint at this point, especially because, well, Facebook stock, I guess, uh, maybe the valuation is a lot more attractive today, but at least before Facebook's last earnings, it's kind of hard to see why from a risk reward standpoint with Google and Facebook at very similar valuations, you wouldn't think like, all right, I don't know. There's just so much more uncertainty with Facebook. Do you, is that kind of the big reason? I think we highlighted a bit of this earlier. Is that one of the big reasons, just the uncertainty around Facebook compared to, to, compared to Alphabet and Google? Well, the valuation today is very different than the valuation of when I first bought into Google. Um, right. So Facebook at that time was at like a, I think a mid-20s multiple or something like that. Like really not that much uh, less than Google at that point. We were talking about maybe just like a, 10 or 20% difference on the income multiple back in July. Now, Facebook is trading at a mid-teens earnings multiple, and Google is still trading in the mid-20s. So the valuation has come down a lot, but still, 
you know, if we look at Facebook, Q4 21 versus Q4 20, revenue has increased, but the bottom line didn't. You know, that metaverse spend is is really hitting them. Do you pay a mid-teens earnings multiple for something that didn't grow the bottom line year over year? No, that's a great point. I mean, my I have a friend that works at uh, the whatever the Facebook Reality Labs, and he was like, "Well, we're doing some cool stuff over there." And I was like, "I bet, yeah, but I bet your salaries are high, and it's not making any money right now." Um, so that was my thought. Um, but Ryan, do you have any other questions? I think that's it, Gianni. Thank you for, uh, for coming on the show. My pleasure, guys. This was a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, we want to remind our list. Oh, actually, before we go, where can listeners find you? What's do you know your Twitter handle? Yeah, it's basically first and last name with the number six at the end. So Gianni DiMattia six uh, on Twitter, and my DMs are open. So feel free to reach out to me. Perfect. We want to remind our listeners that we are not well, Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or a recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.